this week on The Other Kind Radio. He was the host of a syndicated game show for 36 years, from its revival in 1994 until his death in 2020. Headlines coin flip, Mad Men meet searching for Bobby Fischer. All that and then some headed your way. It's November 10th, 2020, and this is episode 101. Studios here in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to the podcast known as The Other Kind Radio. The Other Kind Radio is a bi weekly podcast. I don't know why I keep saying that because it is, but it isn't. We'll just skip over that. In which Todd and Jeff ping pong around all things pop culture and deliver to you, the kind listener. My name is Jeff. I'm one of your hosts. Todd will be on shortly. Before we get into this pop culture omelet, we encourage all of our listeners to like, subscribe to The Other Kind Radio. By doing so, you are helping feed the algorithm that keeps the podcast universe spinning and our show in its gravitational full. Pull. Full. I just said before we started this. Everything's awake but my mouth. Take that how you will. This episode of The Other Kind Radio is brought to you in part by our friends down at Pub 134. Now, if you're a kind listener and you listen to the show before, you know who what all about Pub 134. This is for that first listener, that first person to click on the link. Pub 134 is a cozy pub located in Maple Village, 90th of Maple, right here in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, Nick, the owner, has set up a, 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 a gambit. Maybe that'll be the, uh, the theme of the show. A gambit of of activities and fun things to do at this cozy little pub. They got football. I think they may still have some bags going on. It's getting a little cold up here now for that. Uh, Halloween. They had a Halloween costume dance party mix. Whatever the kids are calling it these days. Look, folks. He's got a friendly staff. Uh, good pricing. Good company. It's a place to go and just hang out. And we all know right now with everything going on, sometimes you just need to get away. Pub 134, 90th Maple, right here in Omaha, Nebraska. Pub 134, sometimes the elbow is in fact your knee. Pub 134, go visit him. All right, now let's welcome on my podcast partner. He is a family generator, film school graduate, movie maker, guitar and drum player, book author, dive bar boombox founder, and all-around renaissance man live from his studio in the great state of Texas and delivering the pop culture significance of the number 101 or 01. Please welcome Todd. Uh, I don't think it's just your mouth that's not awake. I think your fingers may not be awake now. Hi, Jeff. Hey, you drink that coffee, let it wake your body. By the way, you see those Clorox wipes in the background back over there? Why don't you just sniff those real quick? I think that might, yeah. <laughs> oh, my happy, gosh. Happy 101 episode, 101st episode. I guess that's how you'd say that. Right. 100 and, 100 
you know, the, the, the number 101 left us in a quandary today. We, we kind right. of looked at it and, and we started thinking it's actually, let me rephrase that. Jeff brought up the subject of, Hey, have you, have you considered that we're about to run into some time where, where are you going to go for pop cultural relevancy? Are we going to continue just looking at 2001 because it's only 19 years ago. Kind of people know most of that. I do. I'm going to touch on some of that today because I do think this conversation we've had about how the internet was formed continues to evolve into Oh one, but you're right. I told him that I had much the same thought when I was walking upstairs to come up here and record, I thought, well, where am I going to get this from? And man, does 1901 even have a catalog of pop culture? Did we have pop culture back then? So we're going to do our best. We're going to start this amalgam, this hybrid of touching upon just the number one, and eventually obviously number two. And see what we can pull. So let's start with O one, and and I won't even get into the fact that it is preceded by zero and followed by two. But the number one is actually kind of interesting within pop culture. So probably one of my favorite songs of all time, Harry Nilsson's "One," is the loneliest number, which went on to be a popular hit by Three Dog Night. Was written and originally recorded in 1968, but that number one, the number one. In sports, in baseball, if you're scoring the team, not the score that is in the box score, the final score, but if you're scoring the team, the number one score is the pitcher. Have you ever gotten into that whole thing when you know, you'll be watching baseball and they'll go a ground out three six four of one, and I'm like, what? Why can't you just say shortstop to the first baseman? And I, wow, you just cleared up so much for me. Did I? No, I yeah, because I I always wondered what that was, and I think I've probably had it explained to me uh, a couple times. Uh, but yeah, I thought they were just like giving out like Kino numbers or, you know, like <laughs> lotto so, numbers or something. But yeah, we we the the way that that was initially explained to me, we went to a baseball game and a young woman, I mean young woman, probably you know early teens or something, like, sat in front of my wife and I, and she was doing that box scoring. And what, what you find out is it's, it's this is the reason I even correlate, you know, the way my dad raised me on movies to the way some dads, moms raise their kids on baseball, because it is such a right. a deep thing. And, and where we're asking her, like, what, you know, what exactly is that? And she's like, oh, the, my dad raised me. We would come here and we actually would write out the box score of the game. And they will there are people that will literally take a sheet and on every play write out what it was, where the ball was thrown, and it creates like a map. You can see the entire game based on numbers. Well, now I'm sure the, there's at least a couple of kind listeners out there. That, what are the numbers then? If pitcher's one, is the catcher two? Well, hang on. <laughs> Let's see if I can find. Welcome baseball. to Jeff Throws a Wrench in the podcast. I think it goes pitcher, catcher, first base, second base, third base, and then it goes back over, I think, over to, and I know – Pop's listening right now, and he's either going no, 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 or yes, yes, yes. I've got it here. Pitcher is number one. Catcher is number two. Then we go first baseman is three. Seconds, four. Third is five. Shortstop, six. Ah. Left fielder, seven. Center, eight. Right, nine. And primarily used in softball, a rover or short fielder is ten. Hmm. Which then, I believe I am the rover and short fielder. That's just, that's been my designation in life. And the person banging on the trash can is number 11. Ding. 
So let's now thank step you for that. Thank you. Back. Let's step in the way back machine because it, it was funny when Jeff brought up this, the conversation that needed to be had. I thought, do they even record pop culture from 1901? Do do they do that? What obviously there was culture but what occurred so there are actually some pretty interesting things and it's going to show you how far it is and then i'm going to show you to 2001 how crazy is we come this far but 1901 the first wireless transmission was sent by marconi so man we're doing wireless transmissions in let's see queen victoria died huh i like those box dinners that he invented more than his signal oh god <laughs> the first nobel prizes were awarded in stockholm Jeff is just over there killing himself. He can barely even contain the laughter. I'm going to keep on. I'm going to forge a new path here. American razor company Gillette begins mass producing safety razors and the world's first vacuum cleaner is introduced in 1901. Now to keep it going forward for how far we've come, Wikipedia went online for, uh, for the first time in 2001 Napster was shut down by a court injunction on behalf of the recording industry of America. Apple computer, and it is designated at that time as Apple computer, releases the iPod. 2001 films that, you know, obviously we don't have films in 1901, so we'll do 2001 films. Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, the amazing dog turd that is Pearl Harbor. <laughs> yes. The amazing dog turd that is Hannibal. Oh, you didn't like Hannibal? No, God, that, that's one Ridley Scott film where I'm like, dude, you did, you, you just screwed the pooch. Really, on really, because yeah. it has um, uh, what's his face from Fight Club in it. Uh, Edward. Yeah, Edward Norton's in it. Are we sure he's not in Red Dragon? Oh, I'm thinking of the wrong movie. Hannibal sucked. <laughs> <laughs> Hannibal was the one based on, oh my God, is it Thomas Scott who wrote those books? Uh, it was based on his book, and I even I read that book, and I about threw the book across the room. It's, it so it's the one where Hannibal's in in Europe, in yes, the, in the Julian French. Clarice. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, Red Dragon was great. I'm, I'm... I, I enjoyed Red Dragon. Um, so stick... back to films real quick. Moulin Rouge, which pretty much single-handedly relaunches the idea that you can make musicals on screen, comes out. I Still one of the most audacious films that I remember like being bowled over by in the movie theaters. But the one I have to completely put 2001 around, because it is looming in my future like a bigger dog turd, is Tim Burton's take on Planet of the Apes. You oh, with uh, with Mikey Mike? Yes. Yeah. And so, so the reason it's looming for me is that uh, for those of you who may be new and don't know, I also host a podcast called Minute of the Apes where we break down the Planet of the Apes movies one minute at a time. It's part of a whole collective of movie podcasts called Movies by Minutes. And we have one movie to go until we're forced to watch that movie. And oh, I'm boy. not sure. I'm not sure I can take Marky Mark for 120 something episodes. I don't think I can do it. I remember two things for, first of all, uh, kind listener, uh, many of the apes can be found on any podcatcher software that you like. Uh, and it's a very good podcast. I must admit, uh, I was a special guest at one point. Um, I thought it did a really good job and I have not been asked back. So, um, I don't, um, 
Yeah. Okay. So moving on to another subject. No, um, no, no. But <laughs> secondly, oh, the, but the two things I remember about uh, that, first of all, I did, probably didn't know it was by T- Tim Burton. Um, I just remember it, one, yes, not being very good. And two, um, there was like a big hubbub above about the spaceship that he lands in that it looked like an egg or something. Am I... Am I Obviously, I got Hannibal and Red Dragon confused, but <laughs> I don't remember the hubbub about that. Okay, I, I'm even trying to think. I've I've seen it, unfortunately, a couple times more than I've ever wanted to. It was on cable, and I thought, okay, I'll watch it. Oh <laughs> God, it's bad. Um, oh. and, and, and a fun, famous aside within the Men of the Apes worlds. Any, anyone that listens to that and has come here will know that one of my co-hosts and I, Richard, actually have a bit of butting of heads over it. He saw it once in the movie theaters back in 2001, mm-hmm. once. Mm-hmm. And he keeps going, come on, it wasn't that bad. And I'm like, no, really, it was that bad. You don't recall. It's it's so bad that you look at the modern Planet of the films, and they're very smart how they'll make callbacks to the original. As you know, um, in the original film, Zara calls Taylor Bright Eyes. Eventually, there is a Bright Eyes reference, but it's not ham-fisted. You go to Tim Burton's and they basically go so far as to put Charlton Heston and monkey makeup. And at the end, I believe it's <gasps> damn you all, damn you all to hell. He does his famous line from the original 68 film and puts it in that film, but as a monkey. And it's like, oh God, I now, mean, this is so bad. Now, I know you probably said this and I'm going to take full responsibility for not listening, but is this a remake of the first film? Is it was no, it, it's a reimagining? What is that? Okay. So, first off, Planet of the Apes comes from Pierre Boulle's um, film uh, book, Planet de la Sange, or something like that. Uh, Planet of the Monkeys is actually what it's called. And they, they retitled it. They said, you know, Planet of the Apes makes a lot more movie sense. Planet, Planet de la Sange was astronauts who come but when they come to the planet they're in a much more civilized world they have helicopters and it's and monkeys dressed in suits and um oh god what dana gould do you know who dana gould is sure mm-hmm. so he f- is a famous planet of the apes fanatic and he actually took the original adaptation that was going to be made and made it into a comic book not long ago and it was monkeys in suits and so they did that well tim burton then went when he said, okay, they want to relaunch the Planet of the Apes saga. And he decided to do a hybrid of the original with a bit of the original Pierre Bull type approach. Um, and I look, if you've not seen it after 20 years, then consider yourself forewarned. I'm going to spoil it. It, it, it is effectively, it's effectively the same kind of idea. Astronaut lands here or lands on a planet, there are apes everywhere, humans are enslaved. Right. But at the end, he escapes the planet of the apes. Uh, and whenever he goes back, he lands on Earth again, but the apes have right. overtaken. Now, that's not a novel concept based on what Bull's kind of approach is, which they never, I don't, I don't recall if in Bull's thing, they actually say that they're on Earth all along. Mm-hmm. 
it's just so ham-fisted it's so obvious it's you can tell when he leaves everybody you know you're groaning it's almost like a m night Shyamalan film where you know a twist is coming mm. um and the moment he leaves everyone's like okay what twist are you going to give us and when he lands he lands at the washington monument and it's the the villain is now in place of lincoln that's I'm right not, sorry not washington lincoln monument yeah I, okay just, so so would another example of a reimagining be kind of like the Batman series? Because you had your original one, your original story and everything, and then... I Yeah, I mean, I, you could definitely look at it that way. Okay. I, I, there are... When you reimagine, you're you're taking you're just taking that world and saying, let's put it in new context. I, I, got I think it. you could say a reimagining was a really well done one was the Brady Bunch films. I hate to go for really weird type thing, but you know, you got the Brady Bunch, which is its own little thing that exists inside a pocket of time that it, it could work. Right. And, they, and how do we make a movie of it? Well, what if you could somehow take those people out of the sixties and plunk them right in the middle of the nineties and they are still within their world. Oh, okay. So you've reimagined how it can work its context. All right. And I apologize to the kind listeners, a little bit of uh, Jeff goes to film school there, but I just wanted to make sure I understood the difference between just a remake versus a reimagine, which I think is important. We all learned something today and and that's good. Okay. I'll shut up now. And if I can be fair, I'm going to wrap this up. And again, just because I know this subject so well, the recent three film saga, the trilogy of Planet of the Apes that they redid with where all the apes were motion captured, that's a reimagining. That is, how do we tell the story? Now, it doesn't necessarily perfectly dovetail into the old films, but it it reimagines how the world might have gotten there. And so it it just sort of fits it together. And you can reimagine films and be successful, or you can reimagine films and it be Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes. With Mikey Mike. God, Marky Mark belongs in in some films. You know, Marky Mark, you go watch Boogie Nights. He's fantastic. He is perfect. You go watch, I know you love The Departed. Mm-hmm. He's pretty good in that. He fits that world. Yes. Um, He's terrible in this. Yeah, yeah. He is, he is we've terrible. talked about it a few times on the, on the podcast about the difference between a director's actor and an actor's actor. And I've always believed that he is a director's actor. I think, um... Another example of that is Brad Pitt. I think Brad Pitt is a director's actor. And when I see that meaning that their performance is generally heavily influenced by how well the director can communicate what the needs are. Whereas you take something like, um, oh, I don't know. Um, I'm going to try and think of an example here. Anthony, um, you loved him in Silence of the Lambs. Anthony, Anthony Hopkins. Thank you, Anthony Hopkins. I think you give Anthony Hopkins a script and he comes back and, and is still, you know, willing to discuss and make any changes. But I think he's already taken the work to create that. And now we're going to get angry, uh, angry uh, oh, emails I, from Mikey Mike and Brad. If he if he's listening to us and gives us angry emails, I will tell him thank you and that I love him in Planet of the Apes. Hey, a round of applause there for Todd. Good job. Thank you for fixing uh, the pop culture significance of a particular number. That'll be a, a continued work in progress. Uh, real quick for the kind listener, we're going to get in some headlines here, but one of the challenges I found this morning is with everything going on, it was difficult to find anything that was uh, not pretty heavy when it comes to headlines or what's going on. I mean, we've got uh, things going on with Johnny Depp, uh, 
you know, Disney's furloughing some more people. And we try very hard, Todd and I try very hard on this podcast to uh, be bearers of good news. So um, uh, we will continue to uh, exercise our policy of, of staying away from the heavy stuff. You have a lot of different news agencies that you can go to to see that and try and keep things um, rather positive. In saying that, I realize I'm going to be a little hypocritical by bringing up uh, definitely something I think that's worth uh, talking about, which was... Um, on November 8th, I had popped by the living room um, to, I think on my way to the kitchen, and saw the headline that Alex Trebek had died. And this is all too too many times this year this has happened. Um, so at 80, Alex Trebek passes away. Uh, hence the, uh, the little hint there in the beginning of the show. 36 years, the host of Jeopardy. Um, just an icon. And from what I hear, um, watched the 2020 special that was on and uh, reading a few of the articles, his last days were spent with his wife. And um, I think in a lot of ways, you know, uh, spent well and, and um, at least had some comfort. But, it, but what I did know about him after watching the, or before watching the 2020 was, that he has donated a lot of money to a lot of charities and is really regarded as an all-around really, really good guy. You know, when that news came down, I don't think it was a surprise to any of us. I We, we knew the poor man had been sick for a while. And it, I think it was you that I even, when we spoke in the afternoon one day, I said, poor Alex Trebek. And, you know, it was, no, he'd had a good life. But my, my poor part of it comes from pancreatic cancer is known to be one of the worst cancers that you can get just to what it does to the body and, and what, what has to be done to fight. And, and the reason I want to set that up is that he faced that struggle with such nobility and with grace that is rare among people who are going through something yeah. that difficult. He, he let it be known what he was doing and he kept fighting and, you know, ultimately his job was to entertain us to, to do what the best of entertainment does for anyone, you know, either enlighten you as jeopardy could, it could teach you things, oh, yeah. but also to pull you out of your world for just that 30 minutes for 30 minutes. I always tell this to, to people about movies. The, the ultimate judge of a movie for me is can it remove you from your world where your world is full of strife? Your world is full of pain and hurt. Yeah. Can you, can you afford to pay your bills? Is your girlfriend like whatever it is for that pocket of time, you exist within something where that doesn't hurt or affect you as much. And you think about how much Alex Trebek contributed to that cause, that idea that I'm going to give you something where you don't have to worry. You can come here and I'm going to teach you. I'm going to enlighten you. I'm going to entertain you. And then to find out exactly what Jeff said, how much of his time he gave outside of that to affect people in a positive manner. I, I think in this day and age when we're all, you know, butting heads over politics, uh, saw it this morning, we're butting heads apparently over social media platforms as people pull out of Facebook and go to something called parlor that I didn't know existed. You know, you haven't heard about that. Jeff? No, That's I haven't. A, it's a crazy one. Um, but when we're all fighting, when we can see one noble person that fought a different kind of fight, Maybe that's where we should be going. Maybe that's what we should be emulating is how do I help people instead of how do I help myself? And Alex Trebek seems to have been that kind of person. So kudos to him. 
kitty applause in the background to him everything he deserves it all if i had the kitty uh applause i would play it um but once again i have failed uh <laughs> that, that was my kick to the groin for that's, that's right uh rest in peace uh alex and thank you for all of the hard work um thank you for uh making the jeopardy theme song one of the most used uh I mean, you, you can't be in a, in a sporting event or whatnot, and if the refs are taking a long time, at least before the DMCA, uh, that they wouldn't play the Jeopardy theme and, and everybody would get a giggle. All right, so let's move on to headlines. Let's see if I've got the angry... No, I don't have the angry typewriter loaded up. Um, so again, as I was saying earlier, there's there's a bunch of news out there, but a lot of it is... <laughs> Not very good. And I'm not talking about the results of the elections or anything. I'm talking about just like looking at stories and saying like, oh, that would be kind of that would be kind of fun. Um, whereas a lot of people, you know, just have a lot of things going on right now. Um, and I'm not I'm just not seeing it. I don't want to talk about Johnny Depp and what's going on with him. Um, so what I did was I, I looked through and I went to uh, dig.com. And I found two stories, and we'll do a coin flip, and then we'll decide which uh, story we'll talk about, and then we'll move on to our center stage where we're going to talk about Netflix's number one show, uh, The Queen's Gambit. So our choice of stories are the first, and I understand I'm realizing now this isn't very positive either, but, it, but it's a good what if. Um, so the first uh, headline is, what would we experience if Earth spontaneously turned into a black hole? Right? A little scary, but, but, you know, it's good to know that at least. And then the second one is how to cool a tent without electricity. Now, the reason why this headline made me giggle is most of the time you have a tent and you're pitching it, you're not anywhere, at least for my childhood, you were no, nowhere near electricity. So that kind of made me giggle. So I've got coin flip pulled up on Google search. Heads, we do black hole. Tails, we do tent, and we've got tails. So, for better or for worse, um, let's head into this a little blind. And like I said, the article is on dig.com. Uh, hot weather naturally keeps your tent hot. What? what hot weather naturally keeps your tent hot to restrict your camping pleasure. All right. To get rid of it, 13 simple ways. Oh, 13. Wow. I mean, they just blew past, past 10. Usually 10's kind of the, yeah. Uh, how to cool a tent without electricity can favor you. Um, number one. <laughs> do, we, do you want to go down or, or do you want to work your way down or go up? I'm so riveted by this conversation. <laughs> I'm going to let you decide where we're going. <laughs> Uh, okay, we will uh, we will go from 13 to 1. Number 13, maintaining yourself. I mean, that was on the tip of my tongue. Um, meaning, light colors and loose-fitting clothes are a must for hot weather camping. Right? Don't eat spicy food, Todd. So stay away okay. from that spicy food if you don't, if you want to keep your tent cool, but don't have electricity. Carrying a battery-based fan. So there you go, your own wind movement. We all know that air circulation helps cool, so there you go. Um, number 11, shut down the tent in daylight. Now, <laughs> do, do, 
Do you guys have a tent that has a shut? And Todd's ready to walk off the set. <laughs> I don't know if any shutdown buttons when it comes to tent. I think what this is saying is take your tent down. Um, Number 10. I, I just let you know real quick, Jeff. I was just watching all the viewers signing off. They were walking behind me and leaving. They, they came right. from pop culture, not tent talk. But I will tell you this. Actually, Shelly, my wife, this is the first time she's ever listened to the podcast because we're talking about something she enjoys. Oh, yeah, right good. Now. Well, welcome to the show, Shelly. Um, okay, number 10. Set up a blanket under the tent. If you place a blanket under the tent, then the heat of the ground, which was directly absorbed by your blanket... And then the heat failed to reach your tent. So the the blanket. I'm so sorry. It, it's, keep going. It's keep Google. Going. Don't number, stop now. All right. Number nine. Take advantage of tree cover. Well, as we all know, shade helps. So that's good. Don't set your tent up in the direct sunlight. Okay. All right. Uh, remember, the more trees, the more chances to cover up your tent to keep cool. So that could be one of the best ways to stay cool in a tent. Number eight. Unzip the tent. <laughs> uh, most of the time I open the tent during the day and consider the night as the sunlight problem was then absent then. Uh, so opening the tent is an easy solution to cool your tent and popular as the best way to keep cool in a tent without electricity. Number eight, number eight. Number seven, don't use the sleeping bag. Um, as you're camping in hot weather, it's not uh, wise to use a sleeping bag. So don't climb into that North Face Arctic sleeping bag guaranteed in temperatures of 60 below zero when you're camping in hot weather. Number six, place, your, <laughs> place the ice cooler into your cooler. No, sorry. Place the ice into your cooler. This confuses me. Uh, just place the cooler with ice in your tent and open it. Got it. Got it. So you take your cooler with ice, put it in the tent, open it, and that ice will cool things down. Or it will melt. I but... believe it will also melt and then ruin any possibility of any perishable items. So tune but in next week. You'll be comfortable. Tune, right, you'll be comfortable. Tune in next week when our top 10 list will be what to do when you get food poisoning inside your tent with no electricity. Number five hanging the rain fly over the tent. So this again kind of goes with the branches, uh, creating your own shade. Um, also creating some ventilation. All right, number four, use a reflective space blanket. Uh, just place a space blanket on your tent and it automatically works for reflecting heat. Remember that if your blanket can't cover the whole tent, then the trick doesn't work. Sometimes the blanket on the tent is looking weird. So that looks like a little temp, little typo there. All right, number three. I'm pumped. Number three. Set up the tent at a perfect time. Um, okay. Don't have any plans to sleep in a tent after just reaching the campsite? I don't think so. Exploring the campsite and other activities can be first priority. Many people do the mistake of setting up the tent in the very beginning because of overexciting. That brings extra heat to your tent. Number two, select the location properly. Um, area selection is another important area to stay cool. 
If your campsite is an open space without trees or wilderness and the sun directly hitting your tent, then it would be super heating. So shades of making up at least three or four of the points on how to keep your tent cool without electricity. Right here on The Other Kind Radio. I know you're ready for it. <laughs> We're on a number one. Number one, choose the perfect tent. Tent selecting is the primary vital way to a cool tent. The tent's material, color, shape, etc. one determines how cool your tent will be. In terms of tent materials, canvas is the top one to maintain heat, but it's quite expensive and heavy. Usually ideal for car camping, which will be on not the next episode, but the following episode, which we will be uh, dedicated to car camping. So, um... One more thing to try, try to use a lightweight and large tents. Large tents provide large headspace and allows maintain airflow. The heat will be getting more space and ventilation, uh, which is a way to stay cool. You can send all of your feedback and uh, disappointment in that headline experiment to info, I-N-F-O, at The Other Kind Radio. Here's Todd. Well, for a double feature depth here, um, while Jeff was delivering that amazingly fine, pinpointed, accurate, interesting list, I was able to look into what would happen to the earth were a black hole to open, and it would be listening to that list. I do believe that would be the same exact effect of just swirling. We couldn't write it better, folks. Thank you, Todd. You just saved the show. I feel like we got sucked into a black hole there. Um, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm both amazed and I can feel for the, for the journalist that, um, got the assignment for that. He's like, Bob, Bob got 10 ways to save yourself from coronavirus. And I've got 13 ways to keep a tent without electricity. Cool. If that's your assignment, you know, you've got a good job that they're giving you that garbage to put together. Right. Right. I can right. You can just hear the question. I can write anything, right? Right. Yeah, whatever you want, Tim. Just just do it. Okay. All right. All right. That's headlines. And this is where I'd play the headline sounder and we'd all pretend that we fell asleep for a moment there. <clears throat> I will tell you this. As as boring <laughs> as boring and ineffective that last three or four minutes of your life, of all of our lives were. Uh, I'd be willing to bet none of us thought about the top three things facing the world right now, seriously, politically, health-wise. You were wrapped up in how to keep your tent cool. Oh, my God. You are the Alex Trebek of this show. <laughs> you literally educated us and distracted us at right. the same time. And lost a few listeners, but that's okay. All right, let's move on to, um, let me check my run sheet here. Lord knows I didn't forget anything. Okay, good. Um, let's move on to and try and, and correct as the wheels are coming off of this bus to a show that I, um, again, there's not a ton of new content coming out. Uh, the, I know the Xbox is being released today, so there'll be a little bit of a, a lag in, in having some new uh, pop culture stuff to talk about. But there was something that landed and has continued to be at the top of Netflix. And it's been a while since I've watched something on there that I've 
I think it's one of the heavy, heavier promoted, um, self-promoted, self-promoted, promoted shows that I've talked to friends and, and family about that have asked me what to watch. Um, I did not know anything about it. I actually need to give um, uh, Tree, one of our kind listeners, credit for this because he's the one that said, hey, have you watched Queen's Gambit on Netflix? I'm like, no, I don't I have no idea what it's about. Um, it's been at the number one spot for a couple of weeks now. Uh, I don't know if Todd has the IMDb page pulled up. He does, because he is that good. Here with the tale of the tape on Queen's Gambit, Netflix's newest show. Here's Todd. <laughs> he, he gives me the accolades, and whenever I go to it, I realize I was I was down the rabbit hole of looking at the creator of the show. So, Queen's Gambit. Orphaned at nine, prodigious introvert Beth Harmon discovers the masters of game of chess in 1960s USA, but child stardom comes at a price. And that is, that is very, boy, you boil this show down to what it is. That is the show, but this is an expansive look at addiction, gift, place in the world, what the world is around you. It, it is just a fascinating look overall at this woman's world that then tells us about, about our, a bit about our own. Yeah. Um, this is created by Scott Frank, who, uh, and that's where I was going down the rabbit hole when Jeff tossed to me, <clears throat> who is a filmmaker who has written things like minority report. Uh, he wrote the script for Logan, uh, out of sight. Wow. He's worked with some really, really good filmmakers, and then he's also been in charge of some other shows as well. Um, he's written, I, I don't, I meant to watch this, but there was a miniseries called Godless, and I wanted to watch that, and I don't believe I ever did. But he's written, ser you know, episodes for Shameless and things like that. So this is a guy with a great pedigree that delivers this show to us. So I know I've watched the entire uh, series. I know you're working on it. Uh, the reason why I put in the teaser at the beginning of the show that it's Madman meets Searching for Bobby Fisher is one of the accolades this show is getting on multiple uh, articles on the web is how well they captured that time period. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Mad Men did a great job as well. Uh, I can see the influence of Logan a little bit for those kind of listeners that know the movie Logan. That's the last movie that uh, follows Wolverine. It's kind of a dark movie, but um, just kind of, I mean, <clears throat> this, the person that created this has a very high skill of creating a believable environment. I know that sounds a little bit like 10 ways to keep your tent cool without electricity, but it takes a lot of work and a, and choosing a lot of highly talented people to create the ambiance of the time period that it takes place. I watched uh, the first episode last night, rewatched it uh, just so I could kind of have it in my head. And, and there's a scene where she goes into a, what would be a, a convenience store back then to purchase some items. And I was no longer really focusing on the characters or the lines they were delivering, but everything that was in the background and, and, and it, they did a great job. And, that, and that's kind of would be, I, I don't know, I don't think a lot of it was done graphically. I don't think it's CGI. I think they just painstakingly did some, some um, what, what, it's not site visits, but, you know, looked for areas that they could morph into that time period. Uh, go ahead. I, I, I agree with you, too. I mean, the costuming in this, the hairstyles, the this is a young woman that's 
sent to an orphanage and the they really don't shortcut the orphanage it's in an old nope. home um yeah you you can see films like this often take the orphanage and put cobwebs in the corners and things like that but the truth is they put kids in hand-me-down clothes and they wear the same clothes every day and the attention to detail there is fantastic then when we get into more of her uh teens to 20s people drinking you know budweiser in an old budweiser can it's just those little bits of detail that it's funny when i had not heard the mad men meets bobby fisher but that's a great great way to put this show um it's only seven episodes, so it, but it's it's one that I'm four episodes in, and their execution is just flawless. I can find no no fault with it to this point. Now I I don't know the the truth, but while she's in the uh, foster care or the whatever it is, um, <clears throat> they in the show they give the kids something to calm them which I'm, I'm guessing was some kind of drug or narcotic. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that was widely practiced. I haven't had a chance to, to see if that's true, but that's kind of where the main character's uh, genius of chess kind of presents itself. So in order to cope kind of with everything going on, she befriends uh, the janitor of the, what, what did you call it? It's a boarding home. Is it a foster home? What is it called? I think I think they actually kind of refer to it as a foster home foster, at one okay. point. All right, I just want to make sure I was referring to that right. So uh, the janitor of the the foster home, which kind of yeah, like you said, is in a house, if not kind of like a old school. And um, so she's coping with with obviously the loss of her her parents and everything, and then and then starts playing chess. But then she starts taking these drugs, and that helps her at night uh, play virtual games on the ceiling, which again just all the shots of that and the way that it's presented is great. Sometimes it's a literal camera shot of the ceiling and you can see the pieces moving. Sometimes it's shadows on her face of of pieces moving, which I think is great. Um, And again, what I liked about it was it, it from the beginning hits so many different notes. Like you said, just the, the abandonment, the, the foster care, being thrown in with with people you don't know and 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 part of what hit home with me was kind of the song and dance that goes along with families coming to visit um and the visualization of you know if you did well you got a hair um whatever that's called a hair band or whatever uh hair braid or whatever a headband that is that a headband it's not a headband was it uh, it's some kind of headband and I forget what that's called. I even have, I have a daughter and I've yeah. put those there before and I can't recall now because you're pressing me, Jeff. But if you, if you got that, that means you did well, you're more than likely going to get adopted. Um, right. Eerily, eerily uh, presented. And, and, and uh, as far as when you're introduced to the chess and everything, um, but just uh, such a sweet relationship between her and the janitor and and the beginning of the the learning and and um and obviously not a saccharine relationship not a saccharine relationship it is sweet yeah but he is very direct with her and calls her on her behavior and i i really i wanted to interject that i'm Absolutely. sorry no 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 you're, you're right i think to me that's that's the moment when i started going oh i like the show don't just give me a character who is there to form her right forms her he and she goes back to those lessons time and again and she hears those things in her head yeah 
It's and so that's kind of where I get the Bobby Fisher um, because in that in that particular movie he's young and he's learning how to play te- chess and it's introduced he beats his dad and then he can play without actually looking at the board and then it then it kind of becomes more of the father's living vicariously through his son who's a genius at chess. Um, this kind of goes along that same way, but it, it's it's more from her perspective and, and what can be done. Um, the great thing is I also want to mention about the show is the pacing. Um, obviously, a lot of ground to cover as far as, you know, establishing the character, how she got where she is, and then moving it forward. And eventually, uh, she's placed with the family and, and then has to go to public school. And there's some other elements that are introduced there. Um and and we obviously don't want to give everything away because there are some 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 great little twists and turns here and there, but you you touched on it earlier, and I want to also mention that the fact that it's only seven episodes is another you know tip of the cap and very much appreciated by the creators. You know, from 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 me, I know the tendency right now is to have just twenty episodes and eight seasons and all this other stuff. I love it. It's it's obviously longer than a movie, but it's still a good story and ends in a way that you're okay with it. Um, and you feel you, there's I, I got there. Be careful. Yeah. I've not gotten there. Be careful. I'm not going to I'm not going to re- reveal anything, but just more of the element of the sense that there's still some room for for more, but it's not like you're going to be it's not like game of thrones or something where you're you're left on a cling, cliffhanger and you're just like you know what's going to happen you know winter chess piece is going to turn into dragons and you know that kind of stuff um again really well done really well shot and and i highly recommend uh if you've got the time now to uh sit down and enjoy and i do think this is something that uh a lot of people in the house will enjoy not just just for you know the adults you know, you touch on something that I think is a, a direction that I hope more visual media goes, and that being <clears throat> limited series that tell its story and get out. Now, what's interesting is this is based upon a book by a man um, named Walter Tevis, I think is how you say his last name. Mm-hmm. He Now, he wrote a number of books that have been adapted into films. He wrote The Hustler, which was directed by Robert Rawson, um, and then the subsequent sequel, The Color of Money, that was oh, wow. directed by Scorsese. He also wrote The Man Who Fell to Earth, directed by Nicholas Rogue and starring David Bowie from 1976. So this is the fourth of his novels to be adapted into something. Now, the reason I want to bring that up is, I, and I think I've mentioned this on past episodes, my daughter Abby and I <clears throat> recently rewatched all the Hunger Games films because she's a huge fan of those. <clears throat> Pardon me. And I said to her while we watched them, I really kind of wish they hadn't made movies of this. I, you know, I read the books with her as a father, you know, wanted to know them, wanted to share that with her. I would have loved had they done that, done exactly what they've done here with those books, where it's a six part seven part series that tells one book you you know you can do that and i think that books mm. oftentimes need that depth when you get into telling a show like uh, a story like this you look at what game of thrones was able to do for the majority of its run where it was taking books and it was going along that they just four episodes in of a seven uh, episode arc i'm i'm enthralled i i am just amazed with how good 
of a story that they're able to construct within this, please, all you out there doing this, go tell more stories, go take more novels and do them instead of truncating a book down to two hours into a movie, tell a six, seven hour story and show us the depth of character. Show us. And here's the thing. I, again, I challenge Mr. Spielberg when he tells me that television is not filmmaking. When she goes into her head and she's watching the, the boards, that's filmmaking. Filmmaking is the visual representation of thoughts, images, etc. That is filmmaking. And what Mr. Frank has done here with this, impeccable. Oh, and, and we'd also be remiss, Anya Taylor uh, oh, yeah. Joy, who is the star of this. You, you've seen her in, in things before. She was in, um, she was in The Witch, which uh, is a very interesting film from 2015, but she was also in Split and Glass. Um, she's done a number of things. This young lady isn't just interesting. She is transcendent in this role. For a character that has to internalize much of what happens, she's able to control her face, yet tell us so much about her plight in this film just by her behavior. I was, she is outstanding. I was going to say, this is definitely on my uh, Emmy watch for 2021. Uh, in the in the what a short uh, or limited series, I think she's going to get some nods and maybe a nomination for her acting. Um, there's a number of other characters that are in it that I think um, are duly noted. I know one of them I didn't know who it was, but one of the cats from the Maze Runner is in it. I guess the one of the young actors that was in that movie plays uh, a, a genius chess player in this one. Um, Again, as, as we kind of continue to feel a little bit of the pinch uh, as far as new shows and content coming out, uh, I definitely think this is something that uh, the kind listener needs to take some time and, and enjoy uh, and, and get their, um, their arms around. Definitely see influences from the books. Uh, and I'm just reading this article here, I think that you're on, that he did spend some time, uh, the creator, um, in Okinawa, uh, Walter Tevis, and that's where he learned to play pool, and that is where he uh, learned to gamble and kind of fell in love with gambling and then was able to write The Hustler. And for, for those that haven't seen The Hustler, The Color of Money is the one with Tom Cruise and all the music, little montages and everything. The Hustler is kind of a dark movie mm-hmm. and, and does have those particular kind of some of those shades uh, in this, uh, you know, relationships uh, that, you know, like a wife and husband that should be strong are very tense and and have some, uh, you know, some, some things that are kind of not as they should be when it comes to how people should be, you know, interacting and everything. So I definitely see where some of those influences um, were brought here. One thing I wanted to ask real quick before we get out of here is, so you mentioned Game of Thrones and uh, Hunger Games. One of the issues I had with the Hunger Games was the first movie was the first book, and I thought it was done very well. And then we had where we got into, I think, the third and fourth film was the third book, but they split it in two. Sometimes I feel like, while I understand why they do it monetarily and everything else, that sometimes getting too exploratory or expanding on a particular 
part of a book just because you know you want to make more films or more episodes can backfire as well do you agree that the third film or the third and fourth film should have been or the third book should have been split into two films so i'm gonna agree that that was nothing more than a cash grab okay um i'm gonna disagree with you the first film is horribly directed by a man who oh. Sea Biscuit. I he he was a gr- he did a great job there, but when it, he 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 eradicates a lot of what needs to happen ah. to create your drama within the character, and also for whatever reason, and I you can still if you read uh, journals on filmmaking, people will often go back to it. Why did Gary Ross decide to handhold? the the hunger games film and it's hand holding a camera so you see that bobbing is one thing when there's action uh, but literally you're sitting on a train and the camera's like oh my god and it's like it, it's an assault on the senses and the more that i go back and watch it the more i'm like wow that is just a lesson in don't go for flash over substance so i mean we could really do a breakdown of when I think that film goes too far, I think that you could also look at the Hobbit films recently did that too, where they start splitting the films apart. And, right. Uh, you, then you can also look though at the Lord of the Rings films where that's a beautiful adaptation of a grotesquely enormous set of books. And how can you take those and make them into effective movies? And Peter Jackson did a great job of that, but Yes. When you start splitting books into two, then it becomes a problem. I think what the television shows like this allow us to do is to look at that any story has elements to where they a bit can be enclosed. You can extract it and tell this story and this and this. Uh, where my analogy of The Hunger Games just simply comes from there were a number of things from the books that could have made the film, the storytelling better. Um so yes, you're right. Yes, I agree with you, but I also think what I think. Flashes of of Ready Player One because I agree. I've I've read the books as well, um, and that'll be interesting. But it's time for us to get out of here. I know t- you've got stuff to do. Todd's day's got day has to begin. My day has to begin, and uh, to be. Com- completely honest i'm a little exhausted after tent talk so uh with that being <laughs> said I'll, I'll throw it over to todd for his final thoughts and then uh, i'll get us out of here um you know jeff i i don't think that i nor the kind listener can thank you enough for the amount of research you do <laughs> when it comes to guiding us through how to stay cool when we decide to pitch a tent, which is how you put it. And if you start thinking of the, you know, pitching a tent, I was like, Hey, staying cool during that moment is that's needed. Jeff. Thanks. And to the one listener that, that was like, thank God. Finally, finally tent pop culture. You're very welcome. And thank you. you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, thank, thank you for listening. <laughs> All right. Anything else? No, no. Just so glad to be on the other side of an election. So glad to hopefully be pointed in a direction where we'll kind of start churning out some new pop culture stuff. Yes. Everybody stay safe. Be kind. That's that's the end of it. Todd's out. Thank you, Todd. Uh, And good point. Yes, we are ready for some new pop culture. Uh, For those of you who have pre-ordered or getting ready to get your new Xbox uh, One uh, Series X, uh, congratulations. Uh, Can't wait to see what comes out of that. Do want to quickly remind you to do a little housekeeping here. First time listeners congratulated on finding us among the plethora of podcasts that are out there. Todd and I are very glad that you're here. We're glad you learned about tents today. 
Uh, we'd love to hear about uh, how you found out about the show. Hey, if you've got feedback, if you've got a tent and disagree with any of those 13 ways or 12 ways or whatever it was, drop us a line. Info at theotherkindradio.com. I-N-F-O at theotherkindradio.com. We'll get it. We promise it. Still have the hotline open. 214-843-1149. Everybody have a good week. Stay safe. Stay as happy as you can. And while you're wandering throughout your week, just remember, we are The Other Kind Radio. The Other Kind Radio. Radio. The Other Kind Radio. Everything's awake but my freaking mouth.